Detroit is undoubtedly the most modern city of Asia. It's going to give you a little bit of a sense of what life was like in Corinth. They were marked by their great learning. They were divided, though, because people were able in Corinth. It was such a wealthy town. People were able to climb the ranks. They were able to start out poor and get rich. But the people who did this had some real problems because they weren't respected by the older money. They weren't respected by the people who had other kinds of social status. And so Corinth was a place that was constantly divided. Built right here. 
And so if you wanted to go from Italy, from Rome, to Asia Minor, you could go around and down through these treacherous islands. Malta is in here, we're called a shipwreck. Or you could come through here and pay the Corinthians to pass through. So there was constant money being flown in. These people were rich and drunk with power, and they didn't know what to do. Again, strange how the times have changed. <laughs> the funny thing that they learned was that making more money did not change who you were. And that the people that you tried to impress with your social class, you were never able to be quite good enough. And so, in this really fascinating place, this place that is so similar to our own world, we get started today. First Corinthians is 16 chapters long, so I ought to go ahead and tell you, we're not going to go through the whole book of First Corinthians. Um, it'll probably take a year to go through First Corinthians. But we are going to start at the beginning and go for a while, maybe take a break and then come back. Because there's some things here that are so relevant. Maybe you're thinking, well, sure, it was not, you know, division and different things. Uh, but there are other things that have, we have a lot in common with the Corinthians. We'll see when we get a little further that they were deeply struggling with the nature of marriage. But they were deeply struggling with how to deal with sin inside the church and sin outside the church. But they were dealing with people who wanted to reject the Bible's teachings on the resurrection of superstition. But they were dealing with people who wanted to puff themselves up with their different gifts and people who had forgotten the importance of love. In all these things and more, I think it's really clear that we have a lot to learn. We have a lot to learn from every book of the Bible. But this one, you don't have to think very much to figure out how it applies. You read it, Today we're just going to read the introduction, the first nine verses. But as we read them, we're already going to see sort of a summary of what everybody has. We're going to organize that today in the four uses of the word call in these first nine verses. So I'm going to read through the first nine verses, and I invite you to note with me the, the, four, the four calls. Says Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ to the will of God, and Sosthenes our brother, unto the church of God, which is in Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called, under the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. We thank you for preserving this letter that Paul wrote to Corinthians, that we can come, that we can read it in our own language in the comfort of this facility that you've given. I just ask, Father, that we would see that your word is timeless, that the things that you, you teach us, the things that you command of us, the things that you help us to do, Father, that all these things are for now. That the same calls that they experience, we experience. The same division they experience, we experience. And the same solution you offer is still ours. So I just ask, Father, that you'd open my mouth today to uh, speak your word clearly, that you would be glorified. In the same I pray. You saw the four calls, I'm sure. Paul called to be an apostle unto the church that's called to be saints, the ones who have called upon the name of Jesus, who are called to fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. These four calls that are spelled out here. And it, you know, it's, it's the same Greek root word in each one, although obviously not the same form. It's like it's not the same form in English. 
The only thing that's used more than call in this passage is the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is used six times. There's something very clear that Paul wants to tell the Corinthians from the very beginning. Maybe I'll point it out to you here. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. And Sosthenes, our brother. It's rare in ancient literature for one. In fact, there is no instance in a Greek letter where a person ever lists more than one sender, except in the New Testament. So in the in Greek letters, it's always from so-and-so to so-and-so. That's a different from the way we do letters. We do to you, la 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 sincerely me. But the difference, this, this makes more sense because you know who you are, right? You don't need to be reminded of your name. You need to know who the letter's coming from. And so Paul, you know, that's the way we talk on the phone too, right? Somebody calls me and they say, hello, Justin. I know that I, I am Justin. Who are you? <laughs> so they, in the Greek letters, they flip that around. They say, this is Paul. Hello, church at Corinth. But he, and you imagine this place obsessed with status, obsessed with drawing attention to yourself. It was so strange to say, from Paul and Sosthenes. It was Sosthenes. Well, Sosthenes uh, apparently may have been a, a leader of the Jews in Corinth who had been saved and converted. But the important thing is that Paul the Apostle puts himself side by side with somebody who wasn't. It's the incredible thing about a church. And I think that in churches, oftentimes we miss what it means to be a church. <coughs> Over and over again, we're going to see in the letter to the Corinthians that a church is a body. There are different people with different roles put in their place by God to serve one another and be connected together. You don't become a part of a church by accident. You don't float in. God puts you here, and you make the decision to covenant with a body of believers to say, we are together as a church. You don't accidentally become a church. In the ancient world, uh, when a church was formed based on our historical records of the first century and different things, they would come and they would read a doctrinal statement together. The, the Apostles' Creed, we believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. And as they said that, they said, we believe that God's put us together to, with his word for this purpose. And that was how they covenanted together as a church. This commitment that we made to one another to say, together we are a church. Paul here puts himself side by side with a man who was by every count his lesser. You say, well, that's, you know, that's fine, that's normal. And in our society, we're a lot nicer about it. But how many times have you been with somebody and they said, well, you know, why is that person associating themselves with that person? Or when somebody runs for president, they pick their vice president. Say, well, I need to pick somebody that's going to help me win these voters over here. We associate ourselves with people that we think will benefit us. Let's say that I know that you don't like my friend John Charles. And I know that everybody, everybody wants to be like my friend Logan. Okay? If I'm talking to you, and I want to get something from you, and I want to impress you, I'm going to say, oh, you know, I was talking to Logan the other day. You ever heard of people name dropping? That's what I'll say. So. And if you, you say, oh, well, do you know John Charles? I said, no, you don't like him. I said, well, I'm met and in every way, we treat people like they're tools. You know, I want to associate myself with this person that's going to be helpful to me, and I want to dissociate my person, myself from this person. I use John Charles as an example, of course, because when he's famous, I'm going to tell everybody, you know, he's saying it's true. <laughs> we always want to associate ourselves with people who are going to elevate us. And so in every single ancient letter, Accept the letters of Paul. No one, everyone takes sole credit. 
and set them all. That's a big deal, almost immediately. But another thing is that Paul does not say, Paul, who worked his way up to being the leader of the church. He doesn't say, Paul, the cleverest one at the church in Ephesus. He doesn't say, Paul, the best speaker. He says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says, Paul, not Paul coming telling everybody how great Paul is, but Paul representing Jesus, sent as Jesus is represented. Paul chosen through the will of God. Immediately, Paul says, I'm not taking this role because I'm the best. I'm not taking this role because I've worked my way up to it. I'm not taking this role because I deserve your respect. I'm taking this role because God has given me this role. In 1 Corinthians 9, we'll talk about apostles. Not, you, know, you, know, you can't be an apostle today. You're not called to be an apostle because apostles were people who had physically seen Jesus after he rose from the dead. Paul was the last apostle. He says in Galatians, he was one born out of his time. But do you know that God has a calling on everyone's life? God's got some task, some role that he has called you to. And if I try to do the role that you've been called to, because I think that it'll be better for me, or you try to do the role that God's called me to, or we try to get flipped, and we start to think, this is what I want, this is who I want to be, then we get confused about whose church it is. We get confused about what it means to lead, we get confused about what it means to serve, we get confused about what it means to follow. So the first call here, we see Paul was called to a specific task. He was called to a specific purpose. Let's look at verse 2. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. Now, we got to stop there again, don't we? Whose church? God's church. <laughs> now, I, you know, when I'm talking to other people and stuff, I say, well, in my church, this is the way that we do it or whatever. But the reality is, it's not my church. From time to time, you talk to somebody who will say, well, do you know all that I've done for this church? Or all the money that I put in, or all the work that I've done, or all the whatever. I've been a member of this church for three weeks. You know, I ought to have my say. See, we get so possessive and we get so consumed with these things. But Paul says it is the church that belongs to God. Would you like to have your own church? Where you get to do things your way and you get to have the music that you like and the chairs that you like and the carpet you like. Got an idea, you can buy one. I don't know where we're going to find a cross because the only way to buy a church is with spotless blood. The Bible says in Ephesians that Jesus bought the church of God with his own blood. Nobody has any right to the church except Jesus. And in Corinth, just like today, we get caught up in our own preferences. We get caught up in our own things, and we think, oh, this is my church. It's not my church. It's not your church. That it's God's church that he has called us to different roles in. Now, if we could get that right, if we could really wrap our minds around the fact that God has called me to a role in his church, it's his church, so I don't get a say in it. And he's God, so I don't get to pick my role. How different would things operate? You say, well, you know, we have business meetings. We all get to vote. We all get our say. You know why that is? So that maybe ought to jar you a little bit. When you're a member of this church, when you join this church, or get baptized here, when you're a member of this church, you've covenanted together here to be a part of this body. And all Christians have the Holy Spirit. And so the idea behind voting is not that I say, well, you know, I'd really like it better if we had, you know, full white lights. The point of voting 
is that it is easier for me to misunderstand the leading of the Holy Spirit than for all of us to misunderstand the leading of the Holy Spirit. The idea is that God rules his church through his people. But if we come together and rebuttal, if we don't show up for the business meetings, we don't pray before the business meetings, we treat them like, you know, I'm just going to pick what I want to do. I'm upset about this, or I'm happy about this, or whatever. And we ignore the fact that God is the one that things are for. And we lose the sight that we are God's vessels to run his church. Then you get fights. You get dissent. You get after business meeting, business meetings in the parking lot. You get all these things that destroy things. But if you say, you know, I'm not perfect at understanding the leading of God. But if we're all coming together sincerely looking for the leading of God, then the majority of us as Christians are going to know what direction God wants us to go. And so I'm going to say, you know, I thought this was not the right direction, but I see this church that God has put together pulling things in this direction, and I trust the leading of his spirit. Unto the church of God. That also says certain things about how we need to operate as a church in terms of holiness, in terms of our focus, in terms of our mission. But of course, there is only so much Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, he says, the church of God is located in Corinth. We are the church of God, which is the church of We are a church of God. Then he says that in a different way. He says, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. The ones who have been sanctified, what does sanctified mean? What is a saint? You say, well, you know, a saint is what you become if the Pope, I don't know, CNN come together and vote. You become Pope, you become saint. They build little statues of you. They paint pictures of you with a dinner plate behind your head. They do all kinds of things. That's not what a saint is. Saint is actually, in Greek, just the word agios, holy. It's called to be holy ones. The ones who are made holy in Christ Jesus, called to be holy ones. Now, what does holy mean? You say, well, it's, uh, it's like those jeans these kids wear. <laughs> It means that you never do anything wrong. She's so holy. Holy means set apart. So in the ancient world, they would have some dishes that were for common use, and they would have some holy dishes that were only allowed to be used for sacred things. Jesus says, those who are, the church is made up of those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Those who have been set aside and placed in Christ. So, if you are in Christ, if there's come a time in your life where you recognize that you were common, that you were not sanctified, that you were a sinner, that you realize that Jesus was your only hope, and you turn to him, trusting that he died for you and he rose again, then you are a saint. You're sanctified in Christ Jesus. You've been set apart by him. But of course, he's got this kind of double, doesn't he? He says that are sanctified, that are holy, called to be holy. You see that? You are already set apart in Christ Jesus. So why can't people tell that you're set apart? You've been set apart in Christ. You're set aside from the world. You're set aside for God's use. You're set aside as his treasured possession. So why is it that if I look in your life, you're a lot mixed up with a lot of other stuff? No, we've got this holy plate. We only use this plate for the Passover. But then we put it with all the other plates. If I cherish something. I don't just set it apart in my mind. What happens when you put the fancy plates with all the other plates? 
take it down, take it down, take it down. Eventually, one of the kids thinks it's for painting, whatever. Throw like a frisbee, gets dropped, gets put in the dishwasher, cracks. We, in my house, uh, I think that the rule is that if something says that there's two kinds of dishes, there's dishwasher safe and single use. <laughs> we set things apart physically to protect them, to show how much we cherish them. God says, I have set you apart. And so I want you to live a life that is set apart. In 1 Corinthians, it says, Come ye therefore out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. God says, I want to pull you away from sin. I want to pull you away from the way other people live. I want to pull you away from these things to protect you and to put on display how much I cherish you. He says, you are a church. You have been sanctified, but you are called to be saints. You are called to be holy. You are called to be different. You are called to live a higher kind of life than anyone else can live. That's a high calling. And it's an area in which we all fall tragically short. You are holy, so act like it. Called to be saints. To the church of God, which is the crown. To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. To ones in this church, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So this letter is not just for the Corinthians. This letter is for all those who call on Jesus, both their Lord and ours. This is our third call. How did you become a saint? How did you become called to your specific task? How did you become called to be a saint? You receive those callings when you call upon Jesus. <laughs> you imagine through the ages, God calling out your name. I think of the, the life of the prophet Samuel. Remember, Samuel was laying in bed and he heard a voice. You know? And so he got up and he went to the priest and he said, Did you call me? No, I didn't call you back to bed. Comes back and said, Did you call me? No, I didn't call you. Finally, he says, it was the voice of God. Wait. And Samuel laid in his bed. He heard again, and he said, Speak, Lord, your servant here. God calls out to you and says, I want you to be just like Jesus. I want to call you to be a saint. And in response, you call back to him and say, all of you, whoever calls on the Lord Jesus. What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? In our lives, in our lives of sin, it means we've got to turn from our sin and turn to Him. Maybe we've got to say, Lord, I recognize that I've been trying to be in charge of my own life, that I've been trying to make some little compromises that I think are going to make things better, but that I'm going to make you king of all. Unconditionally. <coughs> Call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Of course, this call is to those in every place. I often say, you don't have to be in a church to be saved. It's a building. When we leave, this is just a building. The bricks, the carpet, ceiling tile. We come together, and Jesus is here amongst us. This place becomes something special because of the people who are here. See, Paul wrote this letter to the church of God, which is in Corinth. He did not write this, the letter to the building. He wrote the letter to the people. The house of God is the people, not the building. The church is the people, not the building. The people who have called, been called to be saints and have called upon the name of Jesus Christ. Their Lord and 
Now, he gets into a little bit of a digression here. He starts to look into what are some of the implications of our sanctification? How do you see, what do you see it means that you've been set apart? Look here with me in verse 3 of Wait, I, okay. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a regular greeting. Paul was concerned about them being holy, but he didn't stop doing things just because people in the world did things. In the world, when people saw each other on the street, they said, Caritas, hello, greetings. And uh, Jews, when they saw each other on the street, would say, Shalom, peace. Paul changes Caritas very slightly to Caris which means grace. And he keeps shalom. And so he says, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes the regular every day and adds a touch of Jesus to it. I wonder if you just spent a week thinking about how you could do that. What are some things I do every day that I can infuse a little bit of Jesus? If I'm a Christian, how do I see the same things just slightly different than anybody else? Paul says that when he thinks about it, he doesn't look at people anymore and want to say happiness to them. He looks at them and says, grace, goodness that you don't deserve, favor of God. Forgiveness when you don't deserve forgiveness. Patience when you have worn out every standard of faith. And peace. Peace, not, and of course he used the word peace differently. Peace is not an internal feeling. Peace is peace with God through Jesus. And that peace bleeds out into peace with other people. <coughs> so, grace, gift, and peace. He says, may you have God's gift and may you have peace with God. That is something that comes with being holy. It's something that comes with calling on Jesus. When you call on Jesus, you receive his grace and you receive his peace. And as he calls you to be a saint, he's offering you his grace and his peace. And in this interplay between you and God, you're given a chance to be holy. You're given a chance to be different. If you're only set apart on your set-apart Sundays, going to be useless as a Christian. I have a friend uh, who's pastor is long who challenged me pretty hard on something. I said something to him about how I was having an issue with something. I wanted to say something, but you know, I was not able to do it. And he looked at me. He said, uh, when you start having imaginary conversations with somebody, it's time to have a real one. I said, Thank you. That's not. I'm gonna go talk to somebody else who's gonna tell me what I want to hear. <laughs> we were uh, at the associate, the national meeting. We had there's a, a tool kit, tool shed, lunch, and a little evening thing. Uh, after the day's meetings are over, pastors get together and talk about practical issues about how to apply things. I wish it was better attended, but it doesn't start until 9.30 or something, because uh, you have to wait till it's meetings all day. You have to wait till meetings are over. Uh, and then you go to this thing. And so we were there probably that, well, past midnight, uh, for sure. Um, and so here, this room full of people, he looks at me and says, when you start having imaginary conversations, it's time to have rooms. And so I'm, I'm challenged by that. And so here I'm having a real conversation. If I walked around and sat with all of you one at a time, maybe in a leadership role, some of you doing different acts of service in the church, and I said, when was the last time that you seriously prayed and then seriously tried to reach someone with the gospel? I said, well, you know, I invited somebody to church. That's not what I said. When was the last time that you seriously prayed 
prayed up for an opportunity and then took an opportunity, had somebody on your heart that you wanted to see saved, and talk to them about it. Say, well, I'm just waiting on the opportunity to come up. Okay. Paul turns every hello into grace and peace. Paul takes every opportunity. Sometimes it results in him getting beaten and thrown in jail. Ultimately, it results in him getting his head cut off. So I've got very little patience. I'll tell you why I've not had this real conversation. Here's my terror. That somebody's going to say something to me like, I don't know any non Christians. You don't know any non Christians? You need to meet some. <laughs> They're going to hell. Stop it. Glad we get this time to spend together here. So when was the last time? If I sat down with you one on one, I read about a pastor when he came to a church and did reverse membership interviews. He said, you know, we're going to talk to all the new people. He said, but I don't know about the people who are already here, so I'm going to talk and get everybody's testimony and uh, get their, their Christian you know, their, their life, find out where they are. I wish I'd known about that sooner. Just go from, you know, house to house and find out. All the people that say they know Christ really know Christ. And so if we sat down, I went to your house, and I looked at you and I said, when was the last time, tell me their name, tell me what it was, that you had on your heart somebody's salvation and you worked for? I wonder how many of you are not going to answer the door for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> I want to have that conversation. You know, Paul's life was so saturated with Jesus. His heart was so full of Jesus that it bleeds through in every room. Say, well, I, I just can't do that. How much time do you spend reading the Bible? How much time do you spend praying? How much time do you spend filling yourself up with God? I understand some of us have lots of Bibles. Okay? I'm not going to say your Bible is here, but you don't have them. Well, metaphorically speaking, if your Bible is laying on the pew all week and you don't think about it again until you get back, They'd be like, I don't know, I don't have more God in my life. I don't know, I just don't see these opportunities. If I went into the cabinet, and I pulled out a sponge and said, I just don't know why this sponge is dry. It doesn't make any sense. I'm trying to clean it, it's just not working. Well, you probably need to soak it in the water some, and then it won't be dry. Say, my heart just feels so dry, I just feel so far from God, I'm just so angry all the time. What if you soaked yourself up in God? Do you want to know how I know how much water is in the sponge? Because when I squeeze it, water comes out. Do you know how I know how much of the Word of God is in you? Because I find out what happens when you get squeezed. Have you ever tried to take a wet sponge from one place of the house to the other? Oh, I made such a mess, you know. I feel like being saved. It's only water. But I used to mop it up anyway. It'll be fine. But you move a wet sponge across the house, and that wet sponge will leave a trail. And your wife will come and say, Justin, do you carry a wet sponge through here? Hey, your wife will say You go and you walk, and everywhere you take that wet sponge, it puts water on the ground because it's full of water. Now, if I followed you around this week, I'm going to be at camp. This is your chance. <laughs> if I followed you around this week, I said, huh, there's no Jesus on the floor. There's nothing dripping out. The only way I know to get a sponge from one room to the other without making a mess is to carry a dry sponge. 
So, in your wake, is there a trail of Jesus or a little drift of Jesus? Say, oh, wow, look at this. This person did something really bad, and they just forgave them. Well, there's Jesus all over that. Go a little farther. This person had a problem, and instead of saying, well, this is what I do, I get back at them. They said, you know, you should pray for them and love them. What in the world? And all these different things. There was somebody who was depressed and discouraged. And instead of somebody saying, don't worry, it'll get better. They said, don't worry, God's with you. Don't worry, I've got this thing that I can give you. I've got this grace and this peace. Because there's Jesus all over this house. Dripped all over the floor. Everywhere you go, you leave out Jesus in between. <laughs> How many of you want me to follow you around? Grace unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, six verses in six minutes. I thank God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Christ Jesus. He says, I'm always praying. I'm always thanking God for the grace that he's given you. That in everything, here's the grace. Here's the grace that you receive. Here's your sanctification. That in everything, you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. Here we go again. Jesus is all over the place. He says, everything you say and everything you think is dripping with Jesus. It is enriched with him. It is full of him. It has more than it can handle of him. If you're a saint, you're called to be a saint, okay? You're called to a specific job. You're called to be a saint. You've called on Jesus, calling out to him. Now, if I look at your utterance, your speech, the way you talk, and I look at what you think, and I say, wow, they have been just filled up with Jesus. Jesus has just poured so much into their mouths. And it's the Bible says in the book of James that the tongue is a fire. You can see how great a fire a little matter can I want to know about how you talk. If I listen to the way you speak, would I say, oh, you're a Christian? They know well, I talk like everybody else talks. You know? This is how I talk. This is what I say. When I get upset, I say anything. I do it. Your mouth is run. And I say, well, you know, have you ever read Ephesians? No corrupting talk. No, I haven't. Ah, a dry sponge. Found it. If I look at your speech, I look at the way you treat people, I look at the way you respond, I look at the kind of language that you use, is that sanctified language. You say, well, I never cuss in church. But you never commit adultery or murder in church either. I want to know about every area of your life. Do you go around dripping holiness? Or not? Verse 6. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, even as the gospel was proved in you, even though, when, even as people look at you, they can tell that Jesus died and rose again and made something new because he made something new in your life. You think about the man who was blind. <laughs> they came to him and he said, whether he's a good man or not, I do not know, but I know this, I was blind. Now I see. But I just met Jesus two minutes ago. I don't know anything about it, but I know that he made a change in me. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, if I had only the lives of the people in this church to prove to somebody that Christianity was true, that God could change lives, <clears throat> would I be embarrassed? Or would I be able to say, let me give you some instances of some people who totally turned their lives around by the power of the gospel? You say, well, that's hard. Yes. But we're called to, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus You've been enriched. You've been given everything that you need. The testimony of Christ has been given, confirmed in you, so that now you don't lack anything. 
You've got everything you need. You're just waiting on Jesus to come back and seal the deal. I already read it, so I'll tell you, of course, that's the final call. Call to the fellowship of his son. Call to be with him. So now, do you live like you believe that Jesus is coming? I told you this before, but I think everybody has got a kind of similar experience. Your parents go somewhere and leave you at home for the day. They say, I want your room cleaned up when I get back. I'll be back at 5 o'clock. I need your room cleaned up. It's 9 o'clock now. You've got plenty of time. 4.45. Your brother says, what time did mom and dad say they were going to be back? <coughs> I don't know, let's call them. Maybe they're running late. And then you run. How much, you know, how low can I pull the blanket when I can't see under the bed? You know? If you believe that Jesus is going to catch you in the middle of what you're doing, what situation change your life today. Okay. Can you imagine you're standing next to somebody and you're just telling a casual lie and then whoo, trumpet sound. There's Jesus. He says, hey, what you doing? You're in a, you know, a living situation you shouldn't be in. What are you doing over here, Jesus? Jesus says to you, what are you doing over here? There are some places that you wouldn't go if you really believed that your grandmother was going to walk through the door. So why would you do it if you believe Jesus is going to walk through the door? Meddling, meddling, meddling. Well, to conformity with Jesus. And people say to me, well, you know, I just everybody does it, i got to do it. So bad. But here's my question about whether or not you really have to do it. And people, I guess, fool themselves on this too. If you believe that Jesus was going to show up in the middle of you watching that TV show, you believe that the door was going to open and Jesus was going to sit down next to you and say, hey, what are we watching? That song on the radio you're singing along with. Hey, I missed that last word. Could you say that to me again? How different would you live your life? Say, well, you know, it's just, no, no, no. Look at this. You've got everything you need, and now you're just waiting on the coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ. You're waiting on your master to show up. You're waiting on the boss to come in. Your boss comes in at work. Says, hey, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just taking a little break. I'll go back to work on Sunday. I work once a week. Your Lord Jesus Christ comes in and says, Okay. You know, how much work have you gotten done today? Well, you say, You know, I'm not actually due to do any work until 10.50 on Sunday. Oh, okay. I said, Yeah, but I'll be there for a solid hour, maybe more if he doesn't shut up. <laughs> so, can you imagine? I'm, I'm telling you, there are people all around this uh, world. They have to pray and pray and pray. Jesus doesn't come back on 7.30 on Wednesday. Right? Hey, where were you? For a little late. <laughs> Just imagine, if Jesus came back and he came to the church to look for you, does he have good odds? All that to say, you've got everything you need. You've been set aside as a saint, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end. Here's the really encouraging thing is that although we may mess up, although we may fail, Jesus says, I have never started anything that I did not do. Although right now your life may be a mess, you may not want me to follow you home. That floor may be squeaky dry. God says, I'm not done with you yet. I still call you to conformity with my son. I still call you to be close to me. I confirm you. I say, you are mine and you will be blameless. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood. God is faithful. Although we are faithless, although we betray him, although we are everything except faithful, 
God is faithful. Although we do not answer our call to be holy, although we do not answer our call to be our task, we don't answer our call to fill our task. Although the last time we talked to him was when we called on him to save us. God is faithful. You read the Bible about Hosea and Gomer. Hosea loves Gomer, and Gomer is unfaithful. And he goes and buys her back from the slave market. He sold herself into slavery. Back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. You say, oh, I can never forgive anybody like that. Isn't it wonderful that God loves you so much? That although right now I start asking you these questions and you say, I sure hope he doesn't ask you these questions one-on-one. We look right at that baptistry right now. God says, I know you haven't been sharing relationships. But I still I call you to that now. I know you haven't been using your, your words like you should, but I still love you. I'm calling that to you now. I know that you haven't been looking for me. You haven't been living in the shadow of me like you should. But I still love you. Let's go. I'm calling you right now. God is faithful. By whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son. You've been called faithful. To have fellowship with Jesus, to be with him now, and to be with him forever. And so Christians, today, how close are you to God? Well, I just don't know how to get back close to God again. Well, for $120, you can have a cancel. I'll tell you what you need. You need to read your Bible. You need to fast, and you need to pray. I want to be hungry for God. I want to fill myself up. You know, look for opportunities to serve you to make it till you make it. Say, well, I don't feel like telling anybody about Jesus. Like, say, call your boss. Say, I don't feel like going to work. I'm going to be there next week, you know, if things kind of improve. Be out of a job. What do you do when you don't feel like going to work in the morning? You go. You get up. You get up. And you and then usually by about lunchtime, it turns out that you don't have your bowl and you're okay. You know, you're all <laughs> life's fine. When it comes to serving God, our Lord Jesus Christ, we think we've got other opportunities. So where are you today? Is God calling you to fellowship? Is he saying, I want to bring you close to me. I want you to stand in the shadow of my son. Is he calling you to sanctification? Is he saying, you're living this life that's so far from me. I want you to submit to my will. Or is he calling you right now to a specific task? Is there something, some job you know you want to be doing? Or is he asking you to call on him to give you eternal life? Is he asking you to call on him and say, Lord, help I'm caught up in my sin. I don't have any choice except to go to you. The musicians come as we stand together. We'll have a hymn presentation.